Jesus, don't really have a relationship with Christ, um, don't really interact with the Bible much, but, but they might be in church every weekend. So, so you've got a good moral person with no relationship with Jesus Christ, who has no intention of fully submitting to the Word of God, who calls themselves a, a Christian. And when I say submitting to the Word of God, I'm not even talking about kind of secondary close-handed issues. I mean, just a very clear, the Bible says this is sin, I don't care type of relationship with the Bible. Um, and so that, I think that's easily the most difficult part is that people already think they're Christians. So if you're saying that, hey, if you're not a Christian, this is the invitation to you, they can't hear that because they think they are. Or if you're not a Christian, here's some things to consider. They, they don't think you're talking to them. And, and so you've got you've to add a, add a layer, add a component of, so, so maybe you, you would call yourself a Christian and yet, so, so you've got that layer of things that I don't think exists in, in volume like it does in the Bible Belt. In 1988, I had the opportunity, the privilege, the joy, the blessing of moving from where I had lived my entire life and for the first time entering into the Bible Belt. And I loved it. Uh, when I grew up and where I grew up, um, it was actually pretty clear for the most part in terms of who were followers of Christ and who weren't. Uh, we kind of understood how that worked for the most part. Again, for the most part. And I loved the clarity of that. I mean, as much as looking back, I hated feeling alone. I hated feeling excluded. I hated feeling out of place. But at least it was clear. You know? And, and when I moved to Joplin, Missouri, which is officially the buckle of the Bible belt, I remember being absolutely like ecstatic that, um, I wouldn't say that the lines got blurred to me in, in, in many ways. I just maybe felt like for the first time in my life that as Christians and as the church, we were actually doing something. I remember seeing the name of Jesus in certain places and I had never seen that before. I remember just walking around and, and talking with people and they would, they would talk about being followers of Jesus Christ and I'd never experienced it. I've never experienced anything like that before. And I remember thinking, I can get used to this. I really like this. Like maybe in certain parts of the world, not in Canada, mind you, but maybe in certain parts of the world, like the church is doing something and, and making advances and I was uh, lulled into the belief that everybody that, they were, that was saying this was kind of on the same page as me. And still love it. If you were to ask me where I, I want to be, I am grateful for the opportunity to raise my children in the Bible Belt. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I have. Um, and even as Matt Chandler has described it, he, he preaches in Dallas, Texas. Um... I'm grateful for the very specific challenges that, that are afforded to me here. And I'm, and I'm grateful for the reminder that Jesus gave me, not Matt, but Jesus gave me, that not everybody who says that they see can see, and not everybody who says they understand really understands. And this is the place where you and I, if, I mean, you might be visiting here from, from somewhere else, from Canada. I apologize if I've offended you, um, but I've been doing it for years, so get used to it if you're going to be here more regularly. I really do. I love the people of Canada. Um, I, I have a, a real heart for them, to be honest with you. I have a very strong uh, prayer life and a desire for them to come to know Christ.
But the same thing is true here in Stillwater, my, my new buckle of the Bible Belt, where I'm surrounded with people who go to church and who go through many of the motions, and, and yet I can just tell that something is disconnected. Now, some of you might be going, hey, we really shouldn't judge. And I would say two things. If what you hear me saying or Matt saying is that we know everyone and exactly where they stand, you're right, we shouldn't judge. That's not our place at all. But we are called to be aware of what's going on around us, and particularly like those people that God has put directly in my life, it is absolutely critical that I know where they're at. It is, it is irresponsible for me to not know my wife's spiritual condition. It, it's irresponsible for me to know my children if they can see or not see. If I said to you, yeah, I've got a son, he might be blind, we don't know. We're not really that interested in him. You would say what to me? What is wrong with you? And yet, we can be guilty of, uh, of acting blind ourselves at the spiritual blindness of those around us because we just don't want to ask the question or deal with the complicated issues or come across as judgmental. It really isn't my job to be like your spiritual cop. But it is our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to care for those that God has put in our path or directly in our responsibility circle as we talked about last Sunday and to be aware of the fact that there may be a problem with believing that you can see because you think in your own mind that you have 20-20 vision. Now, I, in a very practical, very real, very literal sense, I was absolutely dumbfounded at the fact that I could have 20-20 vision and still need reading glasses. I didn't know that could be I didn't know that was possible. To me, 20-20 vision was synonymous with perfect eyesight. And, 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 and I guess maybe the problem was a little bit complicated because I always wanted glasses. My oldest sister had glasses. My youngest sister had glasses, and I kept saying to my mom, why don't I get glasses? And she had some stupid response, because you have good eyesight, which did, to me did not answer the question. Why can't I have glasses? Because you have good eyesight. Well, when will I get bad eyesight? And my mom said, don't worry, it'll come. <laughs> and it has. But I always wanted glasses. If you go back, interestingly enough, when my eyes were opened in the Bible Belt in 1988, my freshman year of college, I'll never forget um, going to a store and seeing a pair of glasses, and nobody really knew me. They didn't know if I had good eyes or bad eyes. And I found these glasses that did not have any kind of prescription in them, and I started wearing them everywhere. You go back and you look at the, uh, the picture of me in the yearbook, and you'll know where Max gets his curly hair. I got this curly hair thing going on and these really round, big glasses, and I'm smiling away. I thought the most irresponsible and, and actually rather just dumb people were people who wore contacts. That made no sense to me. I mean, God blessed you with poor eyesight, and you don't wear the glasses now, to be honest with you, glasses to me were nothing more than like some kind of, a, uh, you know, some kind of a fashion statement, to be honest with you. That's all I thought they were. I thought they made me look smarter. I thought, I just thought they kind of capped this whole thing off. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I loved glasses. 
And as I, as I got older, I remember thinking, I can't wait till I have to wear glasses, but it looks like my eyesight's great. And I went years thinking my eyesight was great. I, I went years thinking my, my eyesight didn't have any problem at all. I was, I was really thinking that, that's kind of normal now, I think. That's, that's normal. And I'm at, I think it was Walmart. I'm at Walmart, and I, I go up to this reading area. I'm like, I wonder what these glasses would, would be like if I put on like a 1.5 or something like that. And I put on these glasses, and I still remember looking at my hands and going, oh, I do have creases and wrinkles in my hands. I had lost them. I hadn't seen them in years. And I'm looking at these things, and they're just like, they're popping out at me. And I'm going, this is what eyesight, good eyesight looks like. And so when I went to the doctor, I remember him telling me, you have 20-20 vision, and you need reading glasses. I didn't know that was possible. I found this explanation for it on, on, on the internet, so that's the best place to find any kind of medical advice. Strongly recommend you do this. But listen to this statement that's made here. 2020 is not the whole story when it comes to eyesight. If a person has 2020 distance vision, they still may need glasses for eye strain when they read or work on the computer. Somebody could require glasses for an eye turn or double vision. See what they're saying? Just because you can see doesn't mean that you don't need glasses to see better. It, it says this. I love this line. There is a difference between visual acuity and visual efficiency. There's a difference between saying I can see and truly seeing. And so I started buying glasses. <laughs> I've got tons of pairs of glasses now and now I'm at that point where I'm really, really frustrated. My, my, some, my friends or my son will hand me his phone and they got it set on the dimmest possible thing for some crazy reason. And I hand it back. Can you please turn this up to a, to a light thing that I can actually see? Or they hand me something and they put it right here and I have to have them stand on the other side of the room so that I can see. Even though I have 20-20 vision, I'm not seeing the way I really want to see. And there really is a problem, a serious problem when we don't take seeing properly, seeing accurately, seeing efficiently as a really important thing to do. And that's not just true. You know where I'm going with this. That's not just true with my literal eyes. How profoundly true is it that we go through life straining to see Jesus, squinting and believing we understand who he is, in this kind of fuzzy haze of spiritual discernment, I, I know kind of, you know, what it's like to be a Christian. Always squinting, always fuzzy. You know what I'm talking about? And so I love this text. It's actually a couple of stories that go side by side. We're going to finish chapter 20 today and then hit into chapter 21 where Jesus becomes increasingly clear. So good. Increasingly clear in terms of who he is. But before he does, I want to do an eye check with you. I, I want you to, to turn to um, Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, and this is one of those verses I recommend you underline. I go back to this verse all the time for lots of reasons. Number one, it's a, it's a word or words, right, a, a message given to a church. So this one really can apply to us. Now, it's from the book of Revelation. People always are like, oh, Revelation, um, what are you saying? And I just want to say, listen, it's, it's a message from God to a church. We are 
Christians in a church, we should hear this. It's written to the church in Laodicea, known as the lukewarm church. I think every message to every church could speak to us, okay? This one is a, is a, is a one I keep coming back to. Verse 17 says this. You say, so this is kind of you doing your own eye exam. You giving your own um, spiritual assessment on how you're doing. You say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. That's your assessment. Not realizing, and that's the, that's the, that's the pinch. Like, that's the angst, that's the bind. I don't even know, not realizing, that you are wretched, that you are pitiable, that you are poor, that you are blind, and that you are naked. Like, you can't see it. You can't recognize it. You can't know it. You're walking around thinking that everything is normal, and you don't know you forgot to get dressed this morning. You actually think you're healthy, but actually you're incredibly sick. And this is the assessment that Jesus gives an angel that gives John to give to this church. Why? Because he loves them. And when we love people, we tell them the truth. When we love people, we move beyond the how dare you judge me mentality. And we, we say, listen, man, I, I need your insight. I need your assessment of, of, of who I am and where I'm going. I mean, you might be able to see clearly, more clearly than I am. I, I can be deceived into thinking I'm more spiritual than I am. I need your help. Uh, you, you're, you're more spiritually mature than I, or you, you've got something. Will you help me understand, am I seeing this the way that I should see this? Because we all have a tendency to be blind about our spiritual condition. And Jesus says, man, this is a bad thing, by the way. This is a terrible thing. And the good news is, is that he gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his people to help correct faulty vision like this. Even though they swear the whole time, but I'm 2020. Well, our stories that we're going to see in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29, are about the gift of seeing. Matthew does this. He he is talking about something and he's really driving at something that's even deeper. So we're about to come across a miracle and it is as simple as two men who are blind see Jesus, hear about Jesus, recognize Jesus without their eyes, but they know he can do something to heal them and they cry out to him and they see. I think Matthew puts it here because of what follows after and then what continually follows are people who are engaging Christ in conversations, who are challenging him, who are completely blind, sometimes the disciples themselves, who are completely blind or farsighted or nearsighted and unable to see the full reality of who Jesus Christ is and he's right in front of them. Verse 29, Jesus gives the gift of seeing and as they went out of Jericho, they've traveled from the northern part, Galilee. They've traveled most likely on the eastern side of the River Jordan. They're coming back in through Jericho, and they're headed from Jericho on that famous Jericho Road, from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is that city um, where every one of the Gospels describes this is where um, Jesus is going to meet his end. This is where you have religious zealots who are not pleased with the statements that Jesus made 
about himself, about his, um, about his divinity. Him, he, you being a mere man, claim to be God. They're offended by this. The disciples even know this could go bad for us. There's conversations about them all going and dying in Jerusalem, and he is entering into the city. I know we've got like seven chapters left in this gospel, but he's entering into the city for the last time. A great crowd is following them. Verse 30, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David. And that's true. He is. Matthew's gospel loves to call him that. Interestingly enough, in Matthew chapter 9, you have a story of Jesus when he is in many ways starting his ministry. He is, um, he is challenged. He is, he, is, he is addressed by two blind men. Different occasion, different situation. He is approached by two blind men who say to him, Have mercy on us, son of David. This is a phrase that comes up over and over and over again. Son of David literally is recognizing his connection to King David and therefore at some level, some understanding the fact that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And they cry out to him, Lord. That's an interesting word. And one of my favorite thoughts to have as I read the scriptures and then as I try to like follow the scriptures, so I'm reading and I'm following and I'm going along is this, is that over and over and over again in the Bible, people make statements and they don't fully understand what those statements are. Kind of like my wife when she said, I do. She had no idea what that was going to mean. But you still make the statement, right? I mean, we've already gone through this whole thing. She looked at me and said, well, let's just do this. So you make the statement, right? And he, he makes the statement, Lord. Now that word, in, in, in literally in the original language, kurios, means like Lord. It could be anything, though, from sir to Lord. And so sometimes we read that and we just, all we see is Jesus in his splendor and in his majesty. And then we ascribe those ideas to these two blind men. Look, they called him Lord. They recognized him as Lord. Um, truth is, it, it literally could be sir, great person. Not fully, I guarantee you, they didn't know he was going to die for them. They didn't have the full, they didn't have the, they did not even have the same understanding that you and I have of Jesus. It reminds me of just how important it is to, you know, just offer respect to people. I remember saying to Mr. Rittenhouse, I remember the first time I ever called an older gentleman in my church when I was a little boy, I remember calling him Clarence. And then I remember like two days later waking up and uh, my father kind of putting my head back on my shoulders and saying, we never call Mr. Rittenhouse Clarence. He's always Mr. Rittenhouse. Even when you're 99 years old and Mr. Rittenhouse is 200 years old, you refer to him as Mr. Rittenhouse. And I, yes, yes, dad. There's that kind of just, that politeness. Sir, sir. And that's what this man could be saying. And I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't stop and well, let me explain. You just called me Lord. Let me explain to you the fullness of that. It's like Jesus comes to us. Whatever level we're at, whatever level you're at, whatever level I'm at, whatever statement that I make, and it's true, and I, I think he smiles at us and says, and you have no idea that that tiny little statement that you made about me, you have no idea how deep that gets. Like in just a matter of moments, we're gonna be in the deep end of the pool, sweetheart. Lord, have mercy 
Same thing. I have no idea the kind of mercy I could have on you. You have no idea the level of forgiveness and the level of grace I'm willing to extend to. Son of David. You have no idea. Actually, I made David, Jesus could say. I I was around in the very beginning. Actually, I was around when not only David, but his great, 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 grandfather, Abraham, was actually in the Ur of the Chaldees. And then me and my father and the spirit, we called him, right? This is what Jesus could do. You have no idea what you're saying. You think you can see. None of that explanation, none of that kind of Jesus qualifying or demanding, it literally goes like this in verse 31. The crowd rebuked them and saying, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. They knew that much. They knew that much. Can I just remind you, your understanding of Jesus doesn't need to be perfect. I would even argue it will never be. And I mean never. You've heard me say this. I believe 10,000 years to eternity, I'll come up to Jesus and I'll say, Lord, and he'll say to me, and you know you still don't know the full meaning of that word? In which I will say, yes, sir, and he'll just laugh. It just just keeps going. It doesn't need to be perfect. But they do know that you can open my eyes. Let our eyes be opened and Jesus in pity. That's, a, that's, a, that's not a bad translation. Kind of the way we use it is more of like, oh, sorry for you. Right? It's kind of how pity comes across. Um, it's, it's more... Uh, like, it is, it is more engaging than that, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a word that it's not, it's not synonymous with mercy, per se. It actually um, is, the, is the special word splachna, which means, like, moved with compassion. In, in the Jewish world, uh, in us, uh, compassion and those things we kind of feel with our heart, right? I love this time of year, and I absolutely love, maybe because of our family circumstances, I love watching those St. Jude commercials, and these children speaking, and I'm just, I'm moved, aren't are you moved? And I kind of, I feel like it's in my heart, but if you ask me to explain it more, it's, it's a little lower than that. It's kind of like in here, you know what I mean? When you're in love and you just feel like you can't eat. This is kind of literally, it means like moved in his insides. See, Jesus doesn't robotically move through circumstances. I am here, I am Lord. I am here to die for you. Believe in my name. Many of us have kind of that robotic, principalized relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we say we see him, we say that we know him, kind of like we know one plus one is two. And in the middle of this entire encounter, we see Jesus having great compassion. He is moved. This word is actually found in the Matthew 9 material as well. When he heals the people, he looks at them. He, recognizes, he has compassion on them and he heals their sick. He has compassion on them because they are harassed and they are helpless. Jesus isn't robotically, just somewhere statically moving through time. Jesus is intentionally, compassionately, lovingly, graciously engaging with his creation. That he has come to redeem and restore. And he had pity on them. He had compassion on them. He touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. 
Don't know how long. I, I don't know where their journey ends. I, I, I really don't. Matthew doesn't seem to be focused on that. I know we can get really, really excited about, I wonder what happened to these people. But actually, the one who healed them is what Matthew's focusing on here. And you and I, for at least a moment, can realize that these men, although completely blind and at some level not able to fully understand or appreciate the one that they cannot see and then for the first time can see, they still really can't see because it goes deeper than that and Jesus is compassionate every step of the way. And now he goes in, he's kind of in Bethpage, which somewhere is near the Mount of Olives, and when you get to the Mount of Olives, so grateful that I have a visual of this now because I've been there. Um, when you're standing on the Mount of Olives, there's still this descent down into the Kidron Valley and then up, as you, the Hill of Ascents is Jerusalem, up the next side to the, where the Temple Mount would be. And Jesus is now overlooking all of this and he is telling his disciples, we are about to enter into this city Jesus is very aware of what is about to unfold. Statements made about him, some accurate, some inadequate, and some flat just out lies. And Jesus is still in the process of providing, like, not just seeing, but the gift of seeing him. This next story is really about the awareness that the people have who can see with their eyes, fine, but are still struggling to understand what it is that they see with Jesus coming in. So notice the imagery. Notice the, um, uh, the important factors that are coming into play as Jesus is entering into the city. So when they draw near to Jerusalem and they come to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, prophet Zechariah, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put their cloaks on them and they, he, he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. They cut branches from the trees, spread them out on the road like they are receiving a king. And I love the imagery of the donkey and the colt, not only because of its prophetic elements, a lot of prophecies um, coming, into, uh, coming into line that are being fulfilled here, particularly from the prophet Zechariah. And when you look at all of these things that are absolutely lining up, you see the power of Jesus Christ coming whether the people get it or not. He's not coming to argue who he is. He is coming to claim what is his. And somehow, the people see it. It's just amazing how when, when you go through the Gospels, like they get it and then they don't get it, and then they get it and then they don't get it, and then they get it and they don't get it. And I'm scratching my head the whole time going, why are you people, and then as I'm saying this, I'm realizing they're just like me. Don't you go through your life getting, not getting, getting, not getting, getting, not getting it? Don't you spend most of your life being extremely frustrated with those people that you say you love who are getting it, not getting it, getting it, not getting it, getting it, not getting it. And at this moment, 
It is a gift of God. They're getting it. This, this, this donkey, it's an interesting image because we, we see this repeatedly through the Old Testament. The sons of David, uh, during this particular time where they're at this feast and something terrible happens, and they all leave, and the text points out, they all leave on their, on their donkeys. When, when kings come in, the, the, the donkey, this, this beast of burden, is, is somewhat the symbol of like kingship to Israel. I don't know exactly why it is. I, I can't find any real like source. Here is why it is. I just can't help but think that when you look at how the Old Testament speaks of kings and the importance of what it means to be a king, these things come out. You need to be a king. You're the king. Act kingly. And remember, you are the representative of God, so be humble. And on this donkey, this profoundly humble yet regal image, Jesus comes in. Jesus, who is incredibly regal, is he not? King of kings, Lord of lords, incredibly humble, is he not? And the people look at this, and at some level, as a gift from God, they see him for who he is. And notice what happens. Verse 9. And the crowds went out before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Again, the son of David. This king, Messiah type response. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Lord, save us in the highest. I, you know, it's not just this, we're desperate and we need you. It's, it's all of the above. It's we're desperate and we're excited and isn't this great? And don't you think things are going to change? Finally, yes, 2017 is going to be the best year we ever had. And they're just saying what they know what to say, which is, God, we need you. God, take care of this. He's here. Yahoo. Hallelujah. High five. And they are without fully understanding they're doing what comes naturally when Jesus enters into the situation and he, through the gift of him revealing who he is, and the people are seeing it. You would just literally think at a moment like this, wow, okay, so, I mean, if you didn't know the rest of the story, like, you know, the Easter part of it, and you're just kind of following along, can you, can you imagine what direction you'd be headed in? Man, he hasn't really been liked. He hasn't been followed. Things have been hard. They tried to kill him in Nazareth. Now he's coming into the city. I mean, if you didn't know what you know, do you not think this is it? Look at verse 10, though. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city is now stirred up, saying, who is this? Who is this? And it's interesting, the response and what Matthew underlines here. It's interesting that it, it, they, they could have said, well, it's the son of David. They're claiming it. It's the son of David. For whatever reason, Matthew chooses this description, which is true of what they were saying. Look at this. And the crowd said, who is this who's coming in? He's the Lord. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is the creator of all. He is, the, he is God incarnate. He is the incarnation of Yahweh himself. No. What do they say? And it's true this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. True and woefully inadequate. Is it not? 
And it's amazing how you can go from seeing to squinting to blurred vision to just not really caring what you're looking at. Just like that. And, and yet Jesus is going to continue to, um, to, to help his disciples to, to see clearly in terms of who he is. Jesus, over the next few days, is going to spend some intentional time at the temple helping people see who he is. Next week, his authority is going to be questioned. How dare you? What, by what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? And he's going to help them see the reality of who he is. Because even when we use that phrase, the gift of seeing Jesus, do you understand kind of the layers that we're using when we even say that word? Do you know how important it is that you see Jesus for who he is? You mean literally? See him? What, what do we mean when we say that? Seeing Jesus. Well, if I were to say to you, it is our responsibility to help people, help others see Jesus, what do we mean by that? Well, you need to see Jesus truly for who he is. You need to see Jesus clearly for who he is. How, how do we do that? What do we mean by that? Obviously, we don't mean just seeing. It goes much deeper than that. I think what we mean is knowing, don't we? You need to know Jesus. You need to know him. And it is so critical that we know him, that we know the truth about him, that we study his word, and we know the truth about who Jesus Christ is. It's so important that we know him, that we know he loves us, that we know he died for us, that we know that he's coming back again. These are so many important things that we know. Like, do you know the things about Jesus? And, and many of us kind of go, yeah, I went to Sunday school, and I do know lots of things about Jesus. That's why I come to church, so I can learn more things about Jesus. And I don't know if I'll ever actually try to pit your head against your heart. I believe both are needed, and both are, um, by God's design, how we fully understand, know, who he is. But I would say that there is a bit of a problem, and you may not see, and you may not know, if all of what you know about Jesus is this, as wonderful as this is, this is wonderful. I love this. This helps keep me in check. This helps remind me of these truths, these eternal truths of who he is. I, can't, I cannot overstate the importance of this. And it's not all that's meant. How many of you know my wife, Andrea? Raise your hand if you know my wife, Andrea. Raise your hand. How many of you would say that you really know my wife, Andrea? Okay? Really know my wife, Andrea. Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. A few, a few less of you. Um, how many of you would, like, really, really know my wife, Andrea? Yeah, me. Like, I really, really, really know her. I know her. And I think it's important for us to recognize that when we talk about seeing Jesus, when we talk about knowing Jesus, isn't that interesting? Isn't it, aren't we actually talking about a relationship? And so when I say to you, do you, do you guys, how many of you know I have a wife named Andrea? Raise your hand. Right, yeah, most of you know I have a wife named Andrea. Well, congratulations, isn't that awesome? Sadly enough, many of us are content with that level of understanding who Jesus Christ is. And you, you really don't know her. 
You've heard about her. You know a couple of facts about her. You've heard she's Canadian. You know, you've heard maybe where she works. You've seen her around. But in the end, like, you really don't know her. And what we're talking about that is truly that gift, what we're talking about that is truly at, the, at that foundational level of what it means to recognize and respond to who Jesus Christ is, is to not just see him, not just to know him, but to truly experience him. Have you ever really experienced him? I'm not talking about, have you ever felt really, really happy in a song that we were singing? I'm talking about, and this is where it gets actually incredibly complicated, and yet so incredibly simple, all at the same time. Like after first service, I had a young lady come up, and she was just like somewhat tortured with the fact that, like, I don't know. I don't know. I see other people all around me, and they, they seem to be like talking about and describing an experience that I don't fully understand. Tears streaming down her face. She reminds me a lot of those people who are now married like four or five years and the marriage is getting hard and they're looking around at their friends and their marriages are going awesome and they begin to wonder if they really love their spouse. You know what I mean? Because everyone else is having a great marriage and mine's kind of in the toilet and I'm struggling and if I really had a good marriage, it'd be kind of like you. It's kind of like reading Facebook and recognizing you're a terrible parent, you're a terrible friend. Right? How many of you have read a Facebook post and realized, wow, that person is so much more spiritual than me? Yeah, I promise you, they're not. I don't even know if they're trying, I don't know if they're trying to fool anyone. They're just describing, and you and I get to live vicariously watching other people have experiences. And let me just tell you, be really careful trying to measure your experience with Jesus from everybody else's. Now, hear me, you can learn from other people. I love hearing about, so Drew, what is your relationship with Jesus like? Like, I love those conversations. Darren, what is your relationship with Jesus like? I love that. It helps me understand more of what my relationship with Jesus is like. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I have to live within biblical community and to realize that my understanding and my relationship with Jesus Christ is truly learning who it is that he is and then trusting him and then experiencing him. This is why it is, so, it is so painful to be a parent because I just look at my children and I so want you to experience Jesus. But I can't see him for you. I can describe to you who he is. I can tell you what I'm experiencing, but I can't experience him for you. And if you think about those concentric circles of responsibility that we talked about last week, this idea of recognizing that God has put people in our lives, let us recognize that God has placed within us, for us, beside us, relationships where we can't see for, but we can help people see who Jesus Christ is as we explain what is happening in our own lives and then we then share our stories of faith, our stories of struggle, our stories of forgiveness with those around us. I do believe that one of the reasons why it's so hard for us as children to know what is going on, spiritually speaking, is because as parents we have this tendency to want to protect our children from certain things. I don't want my kids to have to know what forgiving someone feels like because I won't let anyone near them who could hurt them. 
Anybody have done that? I don't want my kids to know what forgiveness feels like. I don't want my kid to know what vulnerability feels like. I don't want my kid to know what pain feels like. Guess what you're protecting them from? Like experiencing the comfort that only Jesus can give. And this is why God has given us his word, God has given us his people, and God has given us his own spirit perfectly to confirm, yes, this is Jesus and this is who he is, and I know, and I know, and I know him fully. The comedian says, and I think this is absolutely hilarious, he says, you know what it's like? You, you, you go uh, to, the, to the eye doctor finally and you go and he's like, okay, do you see better with this or with this? Okay, go back to that first one again. This or this? Okay, how about two of these and one of these and of this? And then finally when you get down to the very end, you look at this thing and you're like, wow, I can see Jesus. Like I can see, it's right there. I can see clearly now. Isn't that amazing? And then you think to yourself, why have I been walking around not seeing well? I love the statement that he makes. How is not proper eyesight near the top of your to-do list? Anybody else delaying a, 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 a visit to the doctor to have your eyes checked? I am right now. Uh, last year, I clearly am like squinting more and more and more going, yeah, I think that's a conical sign, I think, you know? Like you can't see it? No, not really. But I mean, you know, I'll get around to it. How is eyesight not near the top of our to-do list? I can't help but think that... Um, that there are so many of us right now, like in, in 2017, and I'm gonna switch over to the spiritual side. How is not seeing clearly Jesus for who he is, for all that he is, not near the top of your to-do list? How is helping others see Jesus clearly? Like modeling his life. Like demonstrating what forgiveness looks like. Sometimes I have to ask for it. Um, son, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. And sometimes I need to extend it. Like, I forgive you. T to model Christ so that others can see it. To share Christ so that others can see it. There is someone in my life that I love so dearly, and she is so broken right now, struggling with depression and anxiety. And I called her up, and I said, sis, have you read the Bible lately? Like, 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 like the stories of Jesus lately? And I'm not saying, Carolyn, I'm not saying that like if you read this that everything will just be fine. And I know that you love Jesus, but I just, I'm just saying to you right now, like maybe in some of your deepest and darkest struggles as you're going through them, have you ever thought about just reading the scriptures, the truths about who Jesus Christ is, and then just letting them just be them and let whatever happens, happen? And I'm so scared she's going to misunderstand what I'm saying. And just so grateful she said, thank you for that reminder. Like helping someone see, know, experience Jesus. Matthew ends kind of a famous section where he is describing the fullness of who he is with this statement. First of all, a warning you will indeed hear, but you will never understand. Those are those of you right now in this audience that, um, that think you see but cannot see. 
You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For your heart has grown dull. Your ears can barely hear. Your eyes have been closed, lest they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Notice God's desire for healing. I love this. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And you and I have been placed right here, right now, with the gift of seeing Jesus for who he is, the gift of knowing Jesus for who he is. And I pray that we would experience him fully and enjoy him fully in 2017. And I pray for those of us who can see that by the grace of God and for his glory, we, we would help others. We can't see for them. You know that, right? Can't see for them, but we can help them see. This doesn't fix. I mean, only God can fix, but things can help. And I pray we, as the people of God, would be the kind of people that would help others see, know, experience Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us, your patience, for the gift of sight. And God, more than, more than the literal sight that we have with our eyes, I am grateful for your gift of knowing, experiencing the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. Father, I ask that we as a church would truly respond faithfully to the gifts that you have given us and that, God, we would be ambassadors, that we would be agents and emissaries of, of grace and forgiveness, of kindness. I ask all of this, Father, for our joy and for others' benefit, but ultimately for your glory. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Love you guys. God bless. We will see you in seven days, if not earlier. Remember, our K-12 through stuff starts this Wednesday night. Um, and the other thing I'll tell you is, don't forget to sign up on your way out uh, for the Valentine's Day stuff. If you want to continue this faith conversation, please head this way, not that way. God bless.